0: Uh, I get that question a lot from folks, uh, whether it's a specific country or worldwide. And and I'll say this, I don't know that I have a great perspective on that, because given the nature of the content of my website, it draws a certain kind of person who's exploring a certain kind of journey. So, do I get a lot of email and contact from people all over the world? Yes. Is that ascending? Uh, Yes. Is that because... Uh, the website is more visible or because there's more people, I, I don't know how to gauge that. Um, what I appreciate God doing all over the world, and I, and I think this is, this is probably where I'd like to kind of lay some groundwork for us to explore some of the things that you want to explore. Um, and I'm finding fresh language for this. The book I'm working on is has been very helpful to me to explore the language that helps us understand the process people are going through. Because it is true all over the world, including the UK, including folks up in Scotland, when we were there this past week, that a lot of people are opening up to a different reality. It begins with a restlessness in the things we already have and experience. It's a restlessness that something either seems not quite right, and we can't put our finger on it, or there's this nagging feeling that, you know, it ought to be better than this. What I read in scripture and what I experience in my spiritual life, there seems to be a bigger gap there than would think would be fair. And so it's usually that unsettledness. Either something seems wrong or I think this ought to be better that causes us to begin to ask questions that make people around us very nervous. And the reason I think it makes people around us very nervous, quite honestly, is because they've had those same questions. And some have repress those questions in the sense of, well, this is what we have, there's nothing better, we're just going to settle. And so there is on the spiritual journey, there are people who seem to settle into, okay, it's not the best, and no, it isn't what I think scripture teaches, but after 2,000 years of religious history, this is what we've ended up with, this church dynamic, that, as, as, often, as we often call it, church. But it's the traditional Sunday morning arrangement of people who go to meetings and listen to sermons and try to apply teaching in their lives and try to be more Jesus-y in their experience. And maybe even are pretty good at the disciplines and the activities and go to church, pray, read the Bible, do those things, and yet still feel as if they're a million miles away from God. And they, and they, and they don't get the disconnect. Disconnect. What religion's wonderful about is if you're doing all that stuff and you don't feel like you're closer to God, well, you know what? It's your fault. You're not doing it well. You're not doing it right. Or there's some secret sin in your life. And my goodness, that's the easiest thing in the world. We're all struggling with stuff, aren't we? I don't think any of us in the room, if you've reached perfection, I'm happy to sit down and let you share with us about that experience. I'm not there yet. And I don't want to vet you first if you're going to claim to be. I'm going to take you out back and make sure that you (laughs) are. But, so if we're going to blame ourselves, that's easy. There's places where our spiritual hunger isn't maybe all it could be, and there's things we know we think about that we'd probably be better off if we didn't think about, and things we don't do we wish we would do better, and on and on and on we go. And there's no end of, well, if it's my fault, there's lots of reasons it could be my fault. And so there's a lot of people who just settle, who just, and particularly those who make their living at the old way of doing things. And I think that's driven it more than we know. If we really got beneath the institutions we have, it's someone's need to make a living. And that's, that's somewhat confessional. That's not accusatory. I know when I was a pastor, there'd come decisions, things we felt like God was asking us to do. And in and, and trying to sort out what that would mean if we did it, a lot of the questions myself and my co-pastor had was, How are we going to justify our getting paid if we really do these things? How do we make sense of the fact that we're on the payroll and others not? And if we really let this thing go the way it may need to go for it to work the way Scripture says it needs to work, then what does that mean for us? And there's so much that's driven by that. If that's As Upton Sinclair said, there's nothing harder to convince someone of the truth than those who are paid not to believe it. And he said it much more eloquently than that. It's not the exact quote. But I think that that's really true. I think there's someone's need to make a living in the religious environment because we're not people yet who trusted God to provide for us because we don't trust him to provide. I need to create. Someone said this in Scotland, I think, or last weekend here. I've never heard this expression before. But they talked about the pastorpreneur as an entrepreneur. (laughs) You, You get it, right? Somebody's got a vision, a passion definition of the body of Christ that then gathers people for the purpose of sustaining the person who's got a passion and a vision. It's even so blatant in my country and probably yours, too, that now you're a good pastor when you have a vision and you make other people go along with it, which is pretty much the opposite of what. Leadership was, which even, even that's a bad word for a New Testament. It really is facilitators, catalysts. It's people that aren't f- having others fulfill their vision. They're people who come alongside people to help them fulfill theirs. To help them be part of all God's asked them to be part of. And so, I, 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 th- then we run up against that. Okay, I've got this restlessness. I don't know that it's valid. I don't know. And everyone will tell you it's not. You're just expecting too much. The church will never be perfect. Well... I never expected the church to be perfect when I started down this road. I don't expect it to be perfect today. I don't expect it to be composed of perfect people. But I do expect it to be what Paul said it was. It is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's how he defines it in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 5, he talks about Jesus preparing a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's talking, I don't think that is talking about perfection. It is talking about things like reality and authenticity and transformation and life and love and celebration of who God is. I think the challenge is that we continue, what we continue to see is man's replication of his idea of what God's church should be. And I think that starts as early as the New Testament. I don't think that starts in the 4th or 5th century or, or let's beat up Constantine for it. It's already happening in Galatia. It's already happening in Corinth. I mean, Paul's talking about he's the fullness, the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And yet you are living like people in your factions and divisions and you're trying to grab for what you want from somebody else and the false teachers that come in to try and drag people after their own affections. The church of Jesus Christ has this earmark on it. It, Jesus Christ gets first place in everything. The language of Colossians chapter 1 is not the language of Jesus starting a church. He's somehow going to try and hold together for eternity. It actually is talking about Jesus giving birth at his resurrection to a new creation. He's the firstborn of a whole new race of men and women who would live differently in the world because they're going to live at the pleasure of God And not at their own self-pleasure. It's not going to be based on man's ability or woman's ability to maintain or sustain an institution that somehow is supposed to reflect the church. Because if the church is the transcendent reality of the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, how would we ever have the smarts to manage that? How would we ever? How could we start it? How could we maintain it? How could we sustain it? How could we protect it? And every time we try... When you get to the first couple chapters of Revelation and Jesus through John is writing to the churches throughout Asia, and he's, only two of them still have some sense of credibility left. The other five... He's talking about, I'm going to take your candle out. Even the Ephesians. Oh, you've got truth and error down. I mean, That's a big problem in Ephesus early on. You go through the whole of the New Testament. Ephesus has got elders leading people astray. They appoint elders to fix that. And Timothy, by the time John writes 1 John to the same church at Ephesus, now the elders are the problem. And he tells them, you have an anointing from the Holy One to know truth and error. You need to follow him. So you've got this story in the New Testament. You don't have a set of proof texts of how the church should be. What you have is Paul, Peter, James, and others wrestling with this reality. The church is a gift in the world that's alive and powerful and transforming. And we have these things called the church in Ephesus or the church in Galatia, or the church in whatever, and it's not reflecting that anymore. And what are we going to do about it? And we're trying to appoint elders, and that works as long as elders really care about making Jesus first in everything. And as soon as they don't, now that they're the problem. And that goes back to, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Well, that's only good to the degree that you really want what Jesus wants. If you just want to use Jesus to get what you want, then that's a bit of a mess too. And so we look at it with the frustration of, boy, how are we as humanity ever going to manage that? And here's where I'm landing. I don't think we do. I don't think we were ever meant to. When I used to teach pastor seminars, and I'm surprised, I don't get invited much anymore, and I'm not really sure why. <laughs> But when I did, I love to ask them this question. Jesus said the only thing he said about the church, except for one other comment, but the main one is this. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I like to say, wow, he's been doing that for 2,000 years. How do you think he's doing? And even pastor's groups. It's fun to watch the gears turn. Whoa, how's he doing? First of all, they're a little awkward grading Jesus. Nobody likes to grade Jesus. That's scary, first of all. Second of all, even if they really like their church, they think the rest of them are pretty much a mess. I mean, we're we're doing it better than most, but you know what? That group over there, and you look at the whole thing, and if the church was the tool by which Jesus would get first place in everything, by which Ephesians 1 says, God will sum up all things in heaven and earth in one person, Christ Jesus. The church, as man has reflected it in the world, is not leading us more toward that corporate sense of shared experience. It's actually leading us more and more into fractured experience, factionalized groups of people. We do it better than they do it, and we've got seminars to prove we do it better than they do it. And and more and more, our distinctives down to what songs we use and how we organize, we're distinct from them, and they're distinct from that, and our morality views change, and... We're not getting closer to being an expression of Jesus Christ in the world. So when you ask, how is he doing, people freak. I used to freak. I don't know what to say about that. The last 20 years, I've gotten a chance to taste of the church of Jesus Christ as he's been building it in the world for 2,000 years. And when you don't look at what man's doing that calls itself church, but if you look at what Jesus is doing to invite men and women from all over the world to himself, To connect them with other brothers and sisters in deep, authentic, real relationships. Filled with love and life and joy and humor. And they're not trying to manage each other to make things happen. Then you find that the church of Jesus Christ is extraordinarily alive in the world. It's just we have to learn to take our hands off. There's something called the new creation. The new creation functions inside of who Jesus is. It functions inside of hearts who are learning to live free in the affection of the Father. And therefore not having to grab for themselves what they think they need or use others as a tool to get what they need. But actually freely lay down their lives to love each other. That, that's a certain amount of growth. That, it's not, you don't come in the door just ready to lay your life down secure in the love of the Father. I think that's a big journey right there. Just getting into some space where, hey, man, I know he loves me. I know he's for me. I know he's making himself known to me. And I'm going to learn to live in that reality. Now he begins to connect me with other people who are also learning that. And the intersections of people on that journey is what the church is. And there's no institution that reflects that. And there's no institution that can exclude that. So a lot of our quote-unquote church experiences are going to be a bit of a mixture. There will be the authenticity of there's brothers and sisters in there hungry for the Jesus I'm hungry for. We connected in ways that was real and powerful. That was real. But some of the side stuff of manipulation and organization, and, and that was the old creation stuff. So we grew up in this mixed environment. But we have this need, oftentimes, don't, don't go here if you can avoid it, of making things all black or all white, all good, all bad. I look back over every bit of my church experience, from growing up in the nursery of the First Baptist Church of Salma, California, to a series of small Pentecostal things, to working on staff at a, at a larger megachurch, to uh, this network of house churches we tried to do for a number of years, to now living it more relationally for the last 20. In every one of those seasons of my life, there are moments where we touch the transcendent reality of the church. And then there are more significant moments where man's need to control it violated that reality. And we could either get just through it and get on past it, or sometimes we had to leave it because it got to the point where it was destructively hurtful. All along, what Jesus is inviting us into is, I want you to come live in the new creation. I want to teach you how to live there. I want to teach you how to live secure in my love, able to listen and follow me, And I want you to connect with the brothers and sisters I'm connecting you to. I want to ask you to do things together, do things together. But I'm not going to ask you to form things together. And I think that's the mistake we've made. We've wanted to form things together. Because we don't think of God's inviting us into things as collaborating on tasks together. We always think about starting ministries. And ministries are meant to perpetuate and they're meant to be eternal. And that's it, right? No one, no one just says, hey, you know, let's just do this for a year or two because that's what God's saying. No, we're going to start a church. It's going to exist for the rest of our lives. And there's an interesting thing that happens when you incorporate something is that the need for the corporation to survive is greater than the power of love. So it, will kill, it will kill love if it has to because the institution will survive. If you've never been part of one, then you, you, God bless you. <laughs> But if you've been part of one, even on the leadership part of one, you find yourself doing things that later you look back and say, in my right mind, I never would have done that. But we had to do that. To survive, for that entity to survive. What I love about Paul and Barnabas coming home from the first missionary journey, I gotta love this. My first time I read it in scripture as a young man, and my mind just exploded because I'd never seen that before. They came back from the first missionary journey, and they report to the brothers and sisters at Antioch, and they say this, we completed the task God gave us to do. I don't know people who complete tasks. I've never met one. I've never met one said, yeah, God asked us to do this. We did it. We're done. Bless God. Now we're seeing what's next. No, we start ministries. All ministries have to survive even when the vision's gone. Even when God's not providing for it any longer. So I'm going to have to provide for it by begging people for money to give, to keep this thing alive. Doggone it. Because God started it. And God didn't start it. We started it. We love to start stuff. I heard this, and I, don't, I wish I could resource this. on, on uh, Somebody told me they read it on a blog, and I have tried to find it because I would love to resource this, but I have not found it yet. Nonetheless, I love the statement. Men and women form institutions in their need to find security in something that's permanent. They find their identity in something that's permanent. But nothing really is. So it, it's not really permanent. It has to give the illusion of permanence. So it's actually, try, it's actually an idol in the sense that it seeks immortality. Corporations seek immortality. To be immortal, you have to, provide, you have to be infallible. Since we're not infallible, you have to provide the illusion of infallibility. So get this, for an institution to survive, number one, if it's going to be permanent, it has to have the illusion of infallibility. And if you want to have the illusion of infallibility, occasionally you have to offer a human sacrifice of those who disagree with it. Yeah, now, doesn't that make sense? Ah, boy, I'd like to know who said that first, because I love that. I love that whole, because I've been been in those places. The new creation is in you from the day your heart was regenerated in Christ. It's like a little seed in a dark place, maybe under a big rock. And doggone, that seed is going to find the light. So even if you get into a place where you know what I'm just you know things don't make sense, I feel like there ought to be something better. But you know what, I'm just going to give it up. I'm going to make do with what is. And you try and push it down, you can push it down for a while. But that that new creation God imparted to you, it's going to find the light. Doggone it, it's going to find it. It's going it's gonna, you're going to come back around again to that. Boy, something doesn't seem quite right. Or it's got to be better than this. It's got to be. And that's going to come again. And then we have the choice. Do we follow that and the implications of that? Which is often the disapproval of friends, often the ostracization from some community that you were a part of that enjoyed. It's uncomfortable with the questions. But those that go on that journey, those that are willing to risk our complacency, maybe, or even our false security. In our human religious systems, they're the ones that find that new creation breaking free in their hearts. And that doesn't mean to have to leave what you're part of. That's not always true. That's not, that's not my point. My point is, do we pursue the new creation as it emerges? Has God made us to be, in fact, different people? And if he has made us to be different people, I've shared this before on the blog. If you've heard it, I apologize, but... We're going back to Israel. I'm going back to Israel because I want to take Sarah there. And we've got 41 of our closest friends going with us. And um, we're going to get the same tour guide I had when I was there 17 years ago. And the man was brilliant. He's a non-practicing Jewish man. And the, the bus we were on, I was leading a tour when I was there. I was hired by a tour company, a friend of mine. To lead a tour, to kind of demonstrate for other people who might lead tours in the future, read pastors. This was seventeen years ago. Please, forgive me, but I was leading a tour for pastors to help them know how to lead a tour when they bring some from their congregation. I did it just to go to the Holy Land for free. It's the only reason I did it. Okay, I'm a little bit mercenary at that point, but I free trip to the Holy Land. I took it. People on the tour were a bit obnoxious to this man, particularly trying to convert him with weird interrupting him when he's talking. Why well, don't you believe in the Messiah then? And this. So the last day, I went out early to the bus, and Abraham was by the bus, and I walked out to him and loaded my stuff on. And I said, can I ask you a question, Abraham? He said, yeah, sure. I said, "Uh, if it's too personal, you're welcome not to answer it. But I said, I think people on this bus have been absolutely obnoxious to you. I said, has that bothered you at all? He said, oh, no, that doesn't bother me. I said, really? He said, oh, no, everyone tries. Muslims try, Catholics try, Pentecostals try, Jewish reform, Jewish conservative. Everybody tries. Everybody's got their answer, and they always tell me about it. And He said, I just keep leading tours. He said, You know why it doesn't bother me? And I said, No. Come here, I'll show you. So we walk around the bus out on the street. He said, See that building over there with the Star David on it? Mm hmm. That's ours. See that steeple over there with the cross on the hill? Yep, that's yours. <laughs> he said, You see that dome over there, mosque? And yeah, that's theirs. Here's the reality. You take that star David off, take that cross off, take that dome off, underneath they're really just the same thing. And then he said this, let this sink home. You would think if one of us was following the living God, it would look different from the others. Boy, is that good stuff? It would. The fact is you can take our management models for congregational life take them right into the business world or anywhere else. We, we, we manage a human institution based on human principles. And not that that's totally horrible, because God does good things in places like that, because God's just generous to be with us in whatever mess we give him. But if you want to be part of the new creation, you could even be in places like, just realize that's not the church. That's a human club of people trying to celebrate Jesus together. I don't read that's a horrible thing. It can be a horrible thing if it's manipulative and destructive and hurtful and uses performance-based guilt-producing kind it can be incredibly destructive, but it can also be somewhat benign. It can also help people capture hunger for Jesus. That's why I captured my hunger, places like that. It gave me a hunger it couldn't satisfy, though where we are going to live, follow a living God, people related to Him in love, the church is the fruit of that relationship. The church is not the source of it. The church is not the source of discipleship. The church is not the source of fellowship. The church is the fruit of people who are living in the new creation. And when those lives intersect each other, whether it's for a moment... A period of time, a season, whether it's for a lifetime. It's the intersection of people living in the new creation. It's the connections, conversations, and collaborations. When God asks us to task together, we do. And when He asks us to let go, we let go. And we live in the the, the reality that this is His church, not ours. It's His to sustain, His to maintain. Part of the the people that kind of brought me in touch with uh, with Stan and Mavis, uh, some folks over in Australia, South Africa. I, I was sitting with a friend. I met him 20 years ago in Australia, before I knew anyone else in the world was living this journey of learning to live in the love of the Father, learning to see church as a reality that transcends human institutions. One of the first ones I met, now we're sitting together. I'm in his home six months ago. We're 20 years later, and we talk about all the people, some I met because of him, some he met because of me, and other people that we met, met other people, introduced us. We've been together all over the world in different places. And we sat there and just said, isn't it amazing how Jesus is just knitting the family of God together throughout the world? It's just amazing. And he said, ah, unmaintained networks, they're the best. And I just I was captured by that. Because I don't know you like me, you've been part of everybody trying to maintain their own networks. Went from congregations to networks, and we're trying to. And, and man's got all kinds of way to organize email lists and get people sign up for stuff. And now we're going to have conventions together and conferences because we're going to become this new thing God's doing in the earth. And it's just another replication of man's idea. And we sat there and realized, gosh, it's the unmaintained networks. It's the unmediated spirituality. It's the unmanaged collaborations and conversations out of which the life of Jesus flows in ways that I think are breathtaking and beautiful. So if we get that in mind, because I know a lot of the questions are always, how do we do church? How about we do Jesus? And let church take its own expression. Let church be the fruit of that reality. That's where I'm at. And... We realized Sarah and I. We, you know, and I got we got out of college. Sarah was my college sweetheart. We married six days after we graduated. We went on staff at a church that we thought was just the best example of church that we'd been a part of, and we were excited about being there. And it wasn't long before that restlessness of something's not right. And yet, who are we to question? I mean, we're young and stupid. Who are we to? question this, and this is something that's flowed down over 2,000 years of man's best way of doing whatever, and who are we to challenge it? And, and when we'd share our passions and vision with people, we'd get that same expression. Oh, you're just looking for a perfect church. Not really looking for a church that reflects a little more of Jesus's reality. I think that's what it was after. And we got discouraged by that, and so then we got a chance to go 15 years, planted my own network of house church communities. We were Sunday morning celebration together, tried to work out something different. In time, it became the same thing. It really did. And I got kicked out of it by my best friend, co-pastor, who announced I had resigned one day when I was speaking out of town somewhere else. And So that, that was not a great moment. It was a lot of hurt. I don't know how many of you have been excommunicated. It's not a lot of fun to be kicked out of a group you started and people you love. And we could have gone back and fought for our position and fought for all that. We felt like God asked us to... So I got more to teach if you walk away than if you stay. And then we start on a journey of what it was to live loved and what it was to enjoy him in a way we had never experienced before. And people kept asking me, when are you going to get back to the church and writing about the church and how we get this stuff done? I'm going, I don't know. I know it's all I wrote and thought about for 20 years was the church. How do we get the church right? How we do all that? And I've written, explored it, wrote a book called The Naked Church. First book I wrote, went down that whole journey trying to make some of that stuff happen. Got my chance to do my own deal and have it blow up in my face. And now I'm going, you know, I don't really care. I really care more about learning to live in the reality of who God is. And I said, I may not pick up this. So I said, a very good friend of mine, I may not pick up the church for another 10 years. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, well, it turned out to be 20. And it's a funny thing happened. When Sarah and I gave up trying to figure it out, we found ourselves living right in the middle of it. And that's the joy. When we hear that story often from people. When I gave up trying to make my own, figure out my own, stop going to all the meetings to figure out here's the next thing to try. We've, we've moved from everything, haven't we? From, you know, seeker-sensitive to purpose-driven to cell church, house church, organic church, network, this, that, bump, da, da. we just going on and on because man has this... In- and woman has this incredible, he's man generically, has this incredible need to create something for God. And God has this incredible passion to invite you into something he's building. And you couldn't build it on your best day. Why even try? But you can recognize it, and you can celebrate it. And you can participate in it, as long as God puts that together. And then when, it's, when his hand is off of it, the it that may have happened... We can go on because the relationships are greater than the task we were doing. Corporations, the task is always more important than the relationships. In God's kingdom, it's always the relationships are more important than the task. And they endure, even if we're no longer tasking together. So that's I hope in that framework, whatever you guys want to explore today, we can explore. Because it really, I I think what many people are feeling, what what happens, and you have the questions before you have the answers, is there's this reality waking up in you. There's this passion for Jesus and, and, and knowing him and living free of the guilt and manipulation and religious hoop jumping that you've been part of for so long. And you don't even know how to express that. You don't even know how to make that happen. But it's growing in there. And when you try and talk about it, The people you threaten, it scares you because you can't imagine that people are being threatened by that same hunger. You're just certain other people are going to have it. And when they don't, you just, oh, no, now what? And then, you well, you're just rebellious and, you know, independent and you're just a jerk. And nobody wants to be with you anymore. And then you end up all alone in the world because of your questions and your willingness to follow it. Now you feel like a real failure. All of that is part of this process of awakening to a new reality. If you've got friends that wake into that reality when you do, and so they come along with you, you are most blessed. But most people in this journey have woken up to that reality all by themselves. And for a while, just feel like they're all alone in the world. But I will tell you this. Your, your religious friends who are watching you from a distance hope you make it. It's like the, you got out of the asylum. <laughs> and we've been taught. I didn't mean that in any pejorative way. My my apologies. (laughs) I was going to say the institution, but that sounds... So I just went with asylum. That was probably a bad choice, but... You got out. And the rest of them are saying, you'll die out there. Doggone it, you'll die. We need this place. But they're looking out there hoping you make it. How do we know 19 years later? People who helped us kick out, kick us out of the very thing we planted. Come back into our lives saying... We want what you guys have. You guys have found something that we thought was there too. We were hoping you wouldn't die. You wouldn't wither up. We were hoping. And so, yeah, are there lonely seasons? Yeah, lonely in the sense of human contact maybe. Not lonely in the sense of God being that sense of fellowship for you. And letting God bring the connections in His time instead of trying to grab for them in mine. And as that process happens... And I, what I've just described to you is probably a 15, 20, 25-year process. It's not like, hey, we can do this by the end of the month, people. Come on. <laughs> Man, I'm, I just turned 60 this past year. And I, 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 we just, gosh, I wish I'd started here. I wish when I was 20, somebody would have sat down and explained to me the things I know now. Honestly, I don't think I would have listened Honestly, I think I had so much of a need to make Wayne's mark in the world that I would not have been ready to say, no, I'm willing to let him be in charge. And I'll let him make his mark in the world, and I'll just be a piece of it. I'm not sure I would have heard, but I sure wish somebody would have explained it to me. And so if that's what we talk about today, that's, that's a lot of the book I'm working on right now.